Bell Community Engagement Lead at Pathify. Join me every week for discussions with some of the best minds in education technology. The Hired Geek Podcast is a proud member of the Enrollify Podcast Network, a robust collection of shows designed to help higher education professionals like you grow every day. Explore all of our other shows at enrollify.org or check out some of my personal favorites linked in the show notes below. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the leading AI-powered all-in-one student engagement platform helping institutions create meaningful, personalized, and engaging interactions with students. Learn more at element451.com. I am excited for this episode because I feel like it'll be one of the ones where I learn as much as our audience does. It's an area uh, that I feel like I kind of need to explore more. I'm just looking for ways to sort of expand the scope of the podcast as we're uh, heading into this new year and new season. So I appreciate our guest, uh, Nick, kind of joining us here. And if you want to start us off, as we always do, kind of introducing yourself, your background just generally, and then we'll get into more of the work that you're doing right now, kind of how you do it, why you do it, and all that good stuff. My name is Nick Daze. Thanks for having me on. I think you could compress my uh, at least career experience into a couple sentences just by saying I am a designer, uh, both by training and at heart, and I love to build products for people. The more delightful and beautiful, the better. And I have spent my whole career in startups. Uh, in fact, I've either co-founded uh, or been employee number two through 10 at most of the companies I've ever worked at in my career. A lot of people say, wow, that's uh, really brave of you. Or wow, that's unusual. And my standard response is uh, that the secret is that I'm just unemployable, uh, especially at a at a giant corporation. I don't do well in cubicles. I, I, I had one cubicle once in my life. So uh, yes, I have chosen to play the giant open world game of starting companies from scratch. And uh, my current company is uh, is called Heirloom. Heirloom is building radically better tools for people and for companies to manage their digital identity. And we can get into the specifics later, but that's it at a high level. Uh, digital identity for the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, and that's something, because um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into that, just sort of like, you know, like you're saying, sort of uh, design, you know, user experience and security and all that. So we'll uh, cover as much of that as we can. I think, yeah, I guess uh, as somebody who's like humble to a fault, I appreciate the humility of us, like, because if you're like, oh, yeah, you know, like I've started all these things and I'm like, you know, got this ego or something. It's just like, I just don't think I would fit in many other places. And it's just like, oh, it's kind of refreshing, like self-awareness, I guess, because I don't like, I feel like I, I've had the weird kind of trajectory of like, going to progressively smaller organizations, you know, like earlier and sort of their, uh, their journey and everything. And it does feel like that's like, maybe if I had known better, I'd be in sort of a similar position as you of just being like, Oh, I always want to be sort of in the early stages, but like, I, yeah. So I mean, like obviously everything, if you want to kind of maybe give kind of the, the context around like the, the origins of heirloom and talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing uh, with your and your team there. My co-founder, Julian, who is a brilliant human being, and we've been collaborating on a number of uh, products over the course of the last 12 or so years. When you find someone you work really, really, you collaborate really well with professionally, it's it can be a very, very special relationship. And um, I'm really, really grateful uh, for, for my partnership with Julian. And Julian is a just a genius uh, computer science uh, software engineering guy. And he's um, been fascinated by blockchains as a technology since pretty much since they came out. And 
and by came out, I mean the Bitcoin white paper was written in 2008, 2009. Um, so this is all pretty new for civilization. And most people know of blockchains as the underlying technology of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. And while currency is a very important part of our world, it's a very important technology. Um, Julian and I have been talking for years about how blockchains can be used to solve other problems other than financial problems. The er challenges uh, of our civilization is one of identity. We are a social species of primate that uh, really cares about telling the difference between Dustin and Nick uh, in a conversation. And uh, we have a lot of software. Uh, we have a few billion years of software in our brains that help us keep track of the people that are important to us in very subtle and powerful ways that are very hard to replicate in software, right? Think about someone you love let's say your mother, right? If your mother was completely disguised in a Halloween costume, she just has to say probably one sentence before you know definitively the identity of your mother. And that's a problem that's really hard for computers to tell two people apart from one another. So we started off with a prototype for using blockchains to manage uh, what are called unique identifiers. So this is a common pattern in software. And we put a new type of unique identifier called the decentralized ID on a blockchain. And then we give the keys to that identity to the user, him or herself. So each user of our software owns and controls their own identity forever. And it is portable and usable even off of our platform. And that's, I think, one of the first big paradigm shifts of what we're doing is that we're not trying to trap you in some sort of walled garden and siphon off as much information about you as possible. In fact, we're trying to give each and every person on the earth their own toolkit that's totally useful and totally usable uh, to go out and be themselves on the internet in a true and authentic and safe way. And that's a it's simple. Maybe I just said that very, very simply. Um, I hope it did. But that's technologically insanely difficult. And we're doing some really exciting things in that space. Our initial traction has been theoretical technologies like, that's cool, what are you going to use it for, right? And we've explored a lot of different use cases, but one that we are particularly interested in and excited about and where we have some very exciting and prestigious early customers is in education. And we can deep dive on that later. I've been talking a bit too long, so I'll pause. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I mean, it's good to kind of know like the... I mean, just like the context of the world that even sort of begets something like this being able to exist in a sort of really uh, robust way. Because I think like it makes me think even, you know, how you're saying like blockchain as a as a technology, you know, most people know it through uh, currency like Bitcoin and everything. And then I was thinking of like, OK, well, yeah, like take that technology and the idea that like something like a Apple wallet or something, again, first and foremost was sort of used for currency and those kind of transactions. Like what if, like to me, what was resonating with me is like, if you could have identity management sort of things like prove who you are in, you know, as many instances as possible, be as easy now as it is to like pay for things where it's just like, yeah, you just bump your phone and it's just like, yep, it knows that my money's yep. over here. It should go over here and this amount. And like, you know, that it, it's, it's supposed to, like that's like a, you know, approved transaction or whatever, you know, like, uh, like that idea of like, we have figured that out and it's sort of 
to me, and I guess it's just the idea of seeing kind of the, you know, the power and the place of these tools in our lives and society is the idea of like good technology helps like get things out of the way. You know, the idea of like, if you could prove your identity, there would be just things like be more seamless, especially in uh, digital spaces and everything. So I don't know. My ma- my mind is clearly kind of racing now with kind of like thinking about it. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's too, like I appreciate, and maybe this can just be the kind of brief follow-up that you can uh, speak to a little bit is the idea that like, there has, I think, been this sort of dilemma in digital spaces of like, should people be able to just be anonymous, make up your username and do whatever? Or should people like have to kind of like be themselves in these spaces as well? Like, is that something that kind of was like, like something that you've thought about or kind of influenced the way that you kind of shaped this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple things there that I want to remark upon, there's the, the Apple wallet analogy. And then there's also this, uh, um, strongly proven identity versus anonymity. And are these value propositions mutually exclusive on the internet? I think the first one I can speak about very briefly, the app, I mean, I'm glad you brought up Apple wallet because many, many people use Apple wallet or Google wallet. And they're so used to just, you know, blooping at the cash register at the grocery store. They don't even think about it anymore. And it's great. It's brought a lot of, uh, it's removed a lot of friction from, from transacting in the world. And if you think about it, if you had a physical credit card or debit card in your wallet, you might hesitate, but you could take it out of your wallet and hand it to, let's say someone you trust, right? Uh, you're on a road trip with a friend they need to go buy a bottle of water. You, they forgot their wallet here. Take my credit card, go buy a bottle of water. I'm watching you walk into the gas station. Um, you might hesitate rationally, but you, you would do it, right? You really can't do that with that same credit card or debit card on your smartphone, right? Because it uses biometric authentication. It uses face ID or touch ID. So even if you wanted to give your friend your phone, they, you'd have to give them your root level password, which you probably shouldn't do even if they're your best friend. So it kind of goes to show how even the Apple Wallet use case has gotten more secure, even as it's gotten uh, more useful and as friction's been removed from the system. And we think of ourselves as Apple Wallet for everything else, right? For For your identity. And there are a ton of use cases where we could all benefit from tapping and doing a face ID scan or tapping and doing a fingerprint scan on your phone and securely blooping uh, your identity or credentials about who you are or what you're good at or what you're authorized to do, what job you work, what school you went to, et cetera, um, and making that interaction as frictionless as uh, making the bloop to buy a bottle of water at the gas station. So uh, you hit the nail on the head. We think a lot about... um, about NFC payment technologies like Apple Wallet uh, at Heirloom. We think about it a lot, and I think it, it paves the way to a great frictionless user experience. On the, on the point of, um, of anonymity versus verified authenticity, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think there are use cases where both are appropriate on the internet, but I think it's no accident that early on in the life cycle of the internet, there was a proliferation of these anonymous or pseudonymous use cases on the internet, right? Signing on to use that and trading stock tips or cookie recipes or comic book collectors tips, right? With one another 
and it doesn't matter. Nobody needs to know my name, right? They don't even know where I live. I think as we've as the internet's absorbed more additional stack, and higher and higher value transactions have got, become digital. It's kind of uh, necessitated strong authentic authenticity and identity. Um, I mean, case in point, tapping to pay for something. That is a much higher level of authenticity that you need. You obviously don't want Dustin accidentally or on purpose using Nick's credit card to buy something. Um, that would not be cool unless I gave you permission in some way. And so even something as simple as buying a bottle of water digitally needs a higher level of authenticity. Our view is that there's this whole ocean of transactions um, that are orders of magnitude more valuable than buying a bottle of water at a gas station that are going to need orders of magnitude, better identity technologies to make them truly frictionless and digital. And I'm thinking about everything from applying to grad school to buying a house to uh, applying for citizenship somewhere. These are all work workflows that could all benefit from being much more digital than they currently are. But the barriers to those things becoming digital are not technological, right? We, You could apply for citizenship in Ireland or buy a $2 million house if you had the money or, um, or apply to Berkeley for a master's program in psychology. You could, you could do all of those things in milliseconds digitally if the counterparty agreed to it, right? There's nothing in the laws of physics that says you can't send $2 million to a, to a seller or send all the data to an admissions reviewer at Berkeley and then get an instant algorithmic decision. But we don't do those things that fast because those things are very high value, either economic value or reputational value. And gatekeepers need to put certain guards and guardrails in place to make sure that someone isn't lying on their application to grad school at Berkeley or someone someone isn't paying for a $2 million house with like drug money or something like that, right? There, there are all these reasons, legitimate or illegitimate, depending on your worldview, that we are, we are adding friction to the ecosystem deliberately. And so um, I think we still may have artificial friction in those workflows in the future as a choice of systems design to make sure that there are guardrails in place. But today, a lot of those transactions couldn't even happen digitally if you wanted them to because various bottlenecks exist in the system that are usually related to proving the identity of the counterparty. If your email address is your name at gmail.com and your password is 12345, that's not a strong enough filter for you to buy a house or apply to grad school, unfortunately. Uh, we're trying to we're trying to pave a, a path for a better way to do things. I feel like we're in full geeking out mode here, and I love it. Um, I'm really kind of getting into uh, some of the weeds around this, and I think it's the idea of like what kind of like just like pinged in my brain while you're talking about that. It's just like we've even just recently had what I feel like is like an interesting kind of major paradigm shift is like the normalization of like like something that's so emblematic of analog you know you've got to like you know do it all in person or whatever of like 
notarizing things. It's like, well, I got to have my stamp and I got to do this and, you know, whatever. And now we've started to move towards just like, nah, I guess we could just do it digitally. And it's like, that feels like a pretty big clicking of just sort of like, we're all just going to agree and accept that it like, you know, we can have sort of a even digital paper trail of saying this person check this and verifies and whatever. Like, and that idea that like, yeah, like we are just, you know, year after year getting to that point that you're sort of, uh, talking about and obviously like working day to day on it just so kind of immersed in is that like like yeah like i don't know yeah it's just be- becoming so, so much more normal where you would maybe think 10 years ago it's like digital notaries like what kind of scam is that it's like no again like you said like there's the tools and sort of things in place that we're just sort of building this up now and certainly you know higher education is one of those instances where it's you know these venerable institutions that have operated and had systems in place and you know ways of kind of validating and verifying things uh, for a very long time. And it's one of those areas where, you know, you see a lot of things like, you know, proctoring software for exams or, you know, just other things that are kind of tracking and monitoring and making sure that people are who they say they are and are doing what they need to do the way that they should be doing it to be like, okay, like our reputation is maintained that like this person actually did take this exam and got the grade and has got the degree and all that. And, you know, you mentioned that education is certainly an area where you've seen a pretty clear use case and, I'm sure people are kind of starting to connect the dots as well. So I think if you want to speak to kind of how all of this is sort of manifesting in the education ecosystem uh, from your point of view. Strategically, I hope it's pretty clear what we're doing in education. Education credentials are a, have been for hundreds of years, a very valuable and important cornerstone of your identity at especially at least or especially in a professional context, right? If I hire you to be an accountant at my company, right? You'd better have a CPA license. I really like you to have a finance degree from somewhere somewhat reputable. That doesn't mean you can't do the job if you don't have those things. It just means that those are important um, guardrails on uh, on a kind of a big civilizational uh system, right? And so how do you prove that you have those things? You usually produce papers or you um, give relevant contact information of counterparties that can vouch for you, right? And, and I don't mean, you know, your cousin Dave. I mean, like the little old lady that works at the registrar's office at your university, which, you know, someone's, if someone's hiring you, and they want to check, right? They can call the little the little old lady at the registrar's office and they can pull a transcript and they can pay a fee and that can be faxed to them. Or, I mean, God, what year is it? But like, this is something you can do today, something many companies do today to prove that we're going to hire Dustin, we're going to pay him a lot of money, he's brilliant, he's going to really move the needle for our business. And let's just double check a few things in the, in the workflow of us onboarding Dustin in this role. And... These systems are still very analog and very inefficient um, for for many many reasons, and so we are focused on uh, on on education, particularly higher ed, um, because we think it's a win win situation. It's a win for us in that we can help show the world a very clear use case. Where if we use our technologies, we can use blockchains, we can use decentralized identifiers, we can use cryptographic, and we can do all of those things in a very user-friendly way. And we can take this very valuable data set and we can make it 
very, very accessible and very, very provable um, and kind of open up completely new possibilities for new workflows. That's pretty exciting to us strategically, right? And then for our customers, let's say a university, we can also drive administrative costs down, right? We can say, um, we are going to dramatically decrease the time that it takes for you to prove to a counterparty, whether they're coming into your university as an applicant, whether they're graduating from your university as a graduate, whether they are, they are an alumnus that's applying for a job and you're getting that phone call to the registrar's office. We're going to make all of those processes 90% faster, less expensive, less failure tolerant. Um, we're going to prevent problems before they arise by building these, um, these uh, verifiable rails into your software workflows. And so any, you know, I'm a startup founder. I, 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 I mean, I guess not all startup founders play this game, but I think the best ones do. And I try to, and it's, you're in the world and you're just looking for win-win situations, right? You're looking for, wait a minute, I can help you and you can help me and we can help each other. What better economic transaction is that in the world? Is there in the world than that? And um, and I think this is a pretty clear win-win when it comes to the technology we're building and um, and education as a use case. Well, I guess even as a clarification on that, it's kind of that notion of like you know accepting kind of what is and trying to kind of just like build upon it to make it work, like you said, kind of more efficiently and more you know just kind of better of like. It's almost like, all right, don't change anything else. It's just that idea of like, you know, the, those verification kind of touch points that you're saying and kind of like, you know, an applicant, a current student or um, an alumni. It's like whatever you're doing now, like, that's fine. I, I would assume for the most part, it's like we're just trying to have those kind of like intersections or kind of interactions, those transactions be easier where it's like otherwise, yeah, it'd be like super manual or kind of analog or uh, just kind of onerous and everything. Um, and that idea of kind of the win-win, I guess, like, do you feel like that's the case where it's kind of like, we can kind of plug in and sort of like supplement wherever you are. And maybe you're kind of like digital transformation journey as a higher ed institution. Like we're just here to sort of supplement and kind of help you kind of, you know, save time on these sort of things that happen, you know, fairly frequently on all those kind of, you know, different touch points. Hey, it's Dustin here. Exciting news. I'll be at the Engage Summit in Raleigh, North Carolina on June 25th and 26th, and I'd love to meet you there. Hosted by Element 451, the Engage Summit is your roadmap for AI readiness in higher education. Sessions will focus on cutting-edge AI applications that are reshaping student outreach, enhancing staff productivity, and offering deep insights into ROI. This isn't your typical conference. It's a strategic summit where you'll learn from the best about leveraging AI and digital strategies and hired marketing. Imagine two days filled with hands-on sessions, real success stories, and the chance to network with top minds in the field. You'll leave with practical, transformative takeaways as you learn how AI fosters a more personalized, efficient approach from recruitment to student success. Oh, and the best part? The Engage Summit is incredibly affordable. Use the discount code Enrollify50, and you can register for just $99. So join me and many of my fellow Enrollify Network creators at the Engage Summit this June. Learn more and register at engage.element451.com. Can't wait to see you there. Yeah, I think the ability to improve processes for any 
common use case is like a, a moral imperative for me. I don't know. There's like, have you heard the story of, um, have you heard this? I, I don't know if it's verified or if it's apocryphal, but um, it's from the the building of the Macintosh in the early 80s about the boot up time. So so uh, there's a story that says uh, Steve Jobs was was pushing his engineering team too hard. Surprise, surprise. And they were, deba- I think they were debating which like variant of which chip that they were going to use in the Macintosh. And, and Steve was, was advocating for the one that booted up faster. It was a difference of, I think it was f- from memory about five seconds. And the engineers were going like, it's good enough, man. Like get off our back. There's other stuff we can focus on. And he sat there and he said, guys, we're going to sell a million of these in the first year. And if you can shave off five seconds from the boot up time, think about the million human beings that are going to be sitting there staring at a screen for an extra five seconds. You may not think that that sounds like a big trade-off, but if you add that up, he was like, that's that's whatever, the millions of, of, of seconds, that's hours of people's lives. That's like that scale we're talking about lifetimes, human lifetimes that are being spent screen. So why wouldn't we do whatever we can to make it faster? Because these are people's lives we're talking about. These are people's time we're talking about. Um, that was probably a bit orthogonal to your question or your point, but like, it, it, I think it's an important story as to like why we should be pushing hard to make these processes and these systems better. Because any opportunity to improve the trustworthiness of a counterparty, to decrease the, the time it takes to transact, online we are opening up new possibilities we're opening up new doors and we are doing our customers and our users right by respecting their time um and giving it back to them and allowing them to live their lives right something we also talk about a lot at airline is we're biased we're all biased i know you're dustin you're in the software industry as well aren't you Mm -hmm. we're all biased right We're, we're focused on our beautiful little product that we're pouring our days and our weeks and our months and our years into it's our whole world why wouldn't everyone be as enamored in it uh or with it um as you are but when you shift the frame of my users my customers are not waking up every day to use heirlooms software they're waking up every day to you know give their kids a kiss good morning and drink a great cup of coffee and catch up with a loved one or a close friend garden or play pickleball or whatever they do that gives them joy in life. And if we can make the middle pieces, right? The intermediary pieces of that journey in their day, more delightful, faster, lower friction so that they can get to the pickleball game or the cup of coffee or the phone call with a loved one or a great, or the viewing of a great film. If they can do that and focus on that instead of spending seven hours applying for grad school or spend three weeks filling out paperwork to apply for the mortgage for their first house or right on and on and on. You see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. I think that's a moral good. And that's, that's what I'm really focused on. Um, that's what I'm really focused on doing for the world. Yeah. And I mean, and it is like important because I think that's like definitely the moment I think higher ed is in. And I think we're, yeah, just like hopping around a little bit with some of the questions, like the impact where, you know, institutions are going to need to have to do, you know, more with less. And I think that's been the story for so long, but I think it just keeps compounding of like, well, now you have to do even more with even less and like, you know, try to find any of those sort of 
you know, process improvements and just efficiencies. And I mean, even just like for the principle of like, you're saying like, kind of just the delight of like doing these things where we all have to do them. Nobody wants to do them. But if it's just like, oh my gosh, that was way easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, but uh, I guess with all of that, like the impact being so powerful uh, that you're, that you are achieving that you're hoping to achieve with as many, you know, sort of partners as possible. Like my kind of question that I, I think I wasn't as clear about before is the idea of like, how hard is it to sort of like get an institution there? Cause I think they would probably like, that would resonate with them, but that sort of implementation and maybe like the paradigm shift where it's like, I guess in my head, it would be like, you can, wherever they are in their journey as an institution with leveraging different digital tools or whatever else, like, it seems as though to me, like you could just kind of help sort of supplement and be like, yeah, you could be the most innovative digital enhanced institution or someone else that's kind of early in their, in their journey with digital transformation, but recognizes the importance of this part of the equation. Like how have you seen that sort of like dynamic play out of sort of the implementation, the sort of like how you plug in with an institution? Cause I think that's always kind of like, you know, uh, yeah, just where the rubber meets the road, like the really important thing. Yeah. (laughs) I see what you're saying. Uh, I mean, may I say back to you what I think you're saying, just so we're clear? Uh, how hard is it to sell to universities? And why? Is that what you're kind of asking? In a sense, yeah. Because it feels like it's, it was always one of those things that you're saying where like, we're in love with the products that we're making. But then it's like, well, this institution just wants to create a better user experience for their... But like, they don't necessarily care to just, like what tool they're using to get there or whatever. Like, So I think on that side of the equation, because you kind of made the the impact, the outcome for students and like staff and everything pretty clear. I'm, I'm just curious because that's always something that I think about a lot is like, it could be the greatest thing in the world, but then it's really hard to implement and people are like, oh, it's not even worth it. We've made it really easy to implement. In fact, we've made it so easy. It's almost, I sometimes wonder if the ease of implementation makes it feel less trustworthy. And that's something that is a very finicky user experience and behavioral psychology question that if you want to talk about later, we can talk a long time about. Um, but our switching costs or our implementation costs are virtually zero. And that's something I'm really proud of because I think if there's one thing university administrators don't need, it's another process to manage. Um, the, it, however, it is hard. It's been very hard to sell to universities. We've had some success. It seems to be getting easier over time, but I will tell you that the difficulty is not technical. <laughs> Strange irony of the situation is I think our biggest source of friction with higher ed is that we are a new entrant and therefore they are unsure of whether we are trustworthy. And the only way to build that trust is to stay consistent and and useful and friendly over time to earn their trust over time. And it is a it will be like a nonlinear adoption method, right? The first is the hardest, the second slightly less difficult, and then by the time uh, the whole world has migrated to our technology, it'll be happening so fast we'll we'll think it's been easy the entire way, and that that's a tricky component to trust. Is it's very difficult to front run, it's very difficult to cut corners on, and sometimes it just takes time. So we are sometimes just um, a friendly resource that's a phone call away for some contacts in higher ed that take two years before they're ready to to launch a pilot, and um, and I see that as just uh, the table stakes or the long term investment that we need to make to um 
revolutionize uh, this industry. And there is no, there is no silver bullet. Yeah. Well, silver think, bullets. That's like, is that, is that idiom from like werewolves? I think so. Yeah. Like, Cause it's just like, all that's your, like all your instant, problems are werewolves. Yeah. Like their weakness. Yeah. Cause yeah. And I appreciate that recognition. Cause I guess it's like, my brain always goes to sort of like, you know, getting excited and seeing the value of like all these different things. And then it's just sort of like, I kind of immediately go to like, okay, like the change management or like how we're sort of like, you know, incorporating this. Cause I think that's just, you know, sometimes where like there's a lot of kind of razzle dazzle and sizzle about the, you know, bright, shiny new thing. And we're just talking about like, oh, it's going to change the world. Especially like, I think it's seemingly kind of like level out or kind of balance a little bit, but like AI has kind of had that, you know, had that tendency at times where it's just like, you know, AI, you just use that word. It's just a buzzword. It's going to change the world. And we don't even need to really, like really, really explain ourselves or think about how we're actually going to do it or something. So like, I think that it's good, I guess, that that recognition, that awareness that you have and trying to kind of like, uh, you know, kind of walk in tandem with like higher education as they sort of get towards like where you hope that they go. And that's kind of like one of my final questions here is like how you see this work sort of evolving in the future. And I think that's part of it is just like you said, sort of like normalizing this concept or this sort of practice of being able to uh, show your work more and all that kind of stuff. And like you said, it'd be kind of a overnight success years in the making sort of situation maybe of just like higher education just immediately having this sort of like oh okay like we we sort of you know get it now but i guess just whether it's higher education or just sort of writ large the work that you're doing how do you see it evolving in the future like the near future Ooh, near future is a little more linear i mean the distant future is I think everyone just wants to be telekinetic. I think everyone just wants to have the thought that they want a cup of coffee or they want the temperature in the room to be a little warmer or the lights to be a little cooler or their friend to be on the other end of the line or that gift that they were supposed to buy for a loved one is on its way and will be delivered to your doorstep tomorrow. And I think that's the way humans have always been, right? Going back to the time of water-powered mills, right? Um, and I think we're both closer than ever before, but farther away than, than I mean, but still very far away. And, and what I mean by that is, let's stay focused on higher ed, right? My vision of the future is a world in which someone can, a, a young person can apply, do all the paperwork to apply to their dream school in milliseconds. And they can spend the bulk of their time on the stuff that really differentiates them. Let's say the original essay or the interview with, with an alumni panel or something like that. And then they can get into their school and they can walk on campus and they can access the, the dorm that they've been put in. They can uh, walk into the, the, their first classroom and take attendance instantaneously. They can submit their their... Uh, coursework instantaneously and can carry with them a proof of their academic excellence throughout that journey. That's not only relevant in that moment, but that's relevant um, in the future to employers. They can sign into the Wi-Fi on campus securely. They can walk into a football game instantaneously and securely that they have the right to access to. Um, they can uh, 
the day they turn 21, go get a celebratory beer without getting shaken down by the bouncer, right? That they can, that they can move through their life with the frictionlessness that we imagine, uh, that we, that in our imaginations, we afford to professor X or Jean gray from the X-Men who were for those, um, for those of you that are nerds, um, uh, telekinetic uh telekinetic mutants in the uh, marvel comics um and that that's all we really want to be but that same workflow i just described today even today in 2023 with all the technology we have and ai and all this stuff it is still filling out forms and taking out badges and waiting in lines and swiping and scanning and proving and and disproving it's a lot uh, it's a lot of friction that's added to the economy. It's a lot of friction that's added to the academic experience. And I see a future where um, where we are all able to access the places, physical and digital, that we have the right to access with zero friction so that we can live our best lives, have that celebratory beer on the birthday, have that great phone call, watch that great movie, um, take that great trip. Uh, the things that we really look forward to ahead of time and look finally back on in our memories. I think that's the stuff that life is made of and it's not the little administrative BS in between. So let's get rid of the administrative BS. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like a really powerful thing. And like you said, I think it's people have seen glimpses of different ways that that can be possible. Like you said, and I think, uh, you know, folks like you who are working hard to keep manifesting that sort of, uh, you know, idealized future that uh, is not like, yeah, like it's not this like sci-fi utopia or whatever. It's like, it's, yeah, like it's getting closer. Like we still have uh, ways to go. Certainly, you know, like you said, like higher education, we've got to kind of follow the lead, build a relationship and do all those things. But like just the notion that even some institutions, like maybe the ones who are kind of the early adopters are kind of getting it and can help uh, lead their peers towards this is uh, uh, is very exciting, and I appreciate uh, you know that you and your team are kind of working hard on this and uh, building it out. Because I mean, it's definitely like you know getting kind of the premise as you've explained it, but just like it's a whole world of like the you know identity management, access management, and all that. Like um, you know, for for my day to day, like I see the power of like you know more kind of like established norms and how we can kind of like better personalized like you know web experiences or you know just like the information about uh you know students academic life and everything but then it's like there'd be i guess kind of the overlap of like how would a student get into that digital ecosystem to begin with i was like right now yeah it is like it's the username it's the password and a single sign-on or whatever but like uh if even that could be you know more more unified more seamless and not having to kind of like you know, repeatedly log in all the time and like all these like, you know, other things that we've tried to do to kind of compensate for like the lack of the sort of more robust uh, identity management and everything. So um, I guess, yeah, if, if uh, you know, we always give our guests the opportunity to sort of follow, final thought, call to action, uh, any response to sort of like what I kind of outline there or just sort of if you want to direct anybody, you know, or direct people to any particular resource or things to kind of... Uh, keep this kind of conversation or this kind of thought process going? I do. I think first of all, um, if anyone's listening and the concepts of decentralized identity or self-sovereign identity, as it's sometimes called, if these are new to you, um, 
welcome. You will be hearing a lot more of the about these technologies very soon, and I hope I've been somewhat entertaining and helpful in in introducing you to the concepts. Um, two, I really want to call attention to something really special we're doing in Heirloom. We have a program called Heirloom Labs, so we're building a lot of really powerful technology here, and we charge companies that have money. We charge them money to use our technology. Isn't that a novel concept? However. Uh, we learned that young people, particularly students that are entrepreneurial or engineering minded, have some of the best ideas out there. And we want to remove as much friction as possible for them to start hacking on their own apps and workflows in this space. And so we have a program called Heirloom Labs um, that's free to any student group. Um, and so it's in use at almost 20 top universities around uh, the country. And it gives free access to all of our technology uh, and early access to all of our technology to any uh, students that are members of student groups. We have student groups affiliated with startups, entrepreneurship, blockchain, et cetera. And we learn just as much, if not more, from the students using our products for free and the ways that they break it or the exotic ways in which they use it. So the value that it drives is, is way more than the value we give away for, with the tools for free. So. Uh, if, if this technology sounds interesting to you and you are a student um, and you would like to find out more about Heirloom Labs, please go to heirloom.io, which is our website, and you'll find some information there about Heirloom Labs. We'd love to have you build your next great app using these technologies, and we're going to make it as easy on you as possible. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anybody who's like a, yeah, like student group advisor or faculty member or whatever, like they could be like, Hey students, like, would this be something that you want to use? Or, you know, just kind of think about how they could yeah. uh, potentially incorporate it into their learning experiences and everything. So that is amazing. I appreciate your generosity with that and with your time here today and sharing all that you did. And again, for the, you know, the work that you and your team are doing there at Heirloom and uh, super excited to see uh, how this continues to impact higher education and Appreciate you uh, just uh, geeking out with me here and we'll ways to connect with you and Heirloom uh, in the description for this episode. And yes, yeah, thanks again for your time. Thank you so much, Justin. The Hired Geek Podcast is a part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, chances you'll like all the other Enrollify shows too. Podcast Network is growing constantly, and we've got a plethora of marketing, enrollment, and higher technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks all designed to empower you to be a better hired professional. Our shows help you find your next big idea and feature a selection of the industry's best as your host. Learn from people like Jamie Hunt, Seth O'Dell, Dave Kibbolds, and Eddie Francis, as well as so many other of your favorite leaders in higher education. Enrollify is made possible by the support of Element 451 leading AI-powered, all-in-one student engagement platform helping institutions create meaningful, personalized, engaging interactions with students. Learn more at element451.com.